Well, hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro, and I welcome you to the best old-time radio podcast. This week, we're doing an archive show. This is a Boomer Boulevard show, first broadcast on January the 15th, 2018. It's a good one. I hope you enjoy it. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. Let's go. Chester has some kind of Really unique boots on. What what are those, Chester? Mucklucks? Is that what a muckluck is? All my life I've heard of mucklucks. I never knew what mucklucks were. They look like they're Indian, like American, Native American Indian. They are? Oh, yeah. Well, now that I know, you've got the big Indian blanket around you, too. And, uh, yeah, Chester's cold. Chester, Chester gets cold. Well, he, he should. I mean... We're, we record this show in the St. Louis area, and as I'm recording this, I think the temperature is 14 degrees. Tomorrow we're supposed to have, or Tuesday it is, we're supposed to have a, a on the 16th, a high of 5 degrees and a low, uh, no, a high of 12 degrees and a low of 5 degrees, and they said the wind chill could get as low as 24 below. That's cool. <laughs> That's yeah, the mucklucks. Yeah, that's cool, buddy. Hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to Boomer Boulevard. This is the podcast where we play old-time radio shows that we actually remember from when we are kids. And the reason we do is because we're baby boomers. And we were alive back there in the 50s and the early 60s when some of these shows were still playing on the air. A couple of them tonight we have are from the late 40s. But I try to play them from my lifetime. I missed on one of them tonight, I think, or maybe two, but not by much. Not by much. But these are shows, many of them we remember from when we were uh, small and saw them on television. But uh, some of them we actually remember listening to on the radio. So what's the lineup for tonight? We have an episode of The Six Shooter with Jimmy Stewart. We're going to go to Beverly Hills and spend a little time with the Burns and Allen family. Then we're going to have uh, a short visit from uh, George and Blanche Bickerson. And then we're going to end up with uh, an episode of Gunsmoke that's a little bit of a does she or doesn't she, or did she or didn't she, I guess is a better way to put it. So we have a pretty good lineup tonight, and we're happy to have you along. So I know you're cold. We've got some hot cider over there, hot coffee, hot chocolate too. Boy, we got it all, don't we? What else you have over there, Chester? Baked apples with cinnamon. Oh, that looks good. Well, come on in, everybody. Make yourselves at home. We're going to get started in just a moment. 
We're going to forego the Radio Noir this week and go back to the Old West for an episode of The Six Shooter, one of the great westerns with Jimmy Stewart. This only played for one year on NBC in 1954, but it, it made quite an impact. Of course, the main reason why, well, it had good writing. Although tonight's episode isn't quite as exciting as some of the others, some of the episodes were very poignant, others were exciting, but of course they always had the aw shucks Jimmy Stewart character as Britt Ponsett, who was, uh, you know, laid back and shy on one hand, but, uh, of course, was one of the fastest guns in the West and well-known for the gun that he carried. Both he and his gun are referred to as the six-shooter. All right, this one was originally broadcast on January 17, 1954, and it's entitled The Silver Buckle. By the way, there's a very famous actor today whose father is in this episode tonight. And he plays one of the two people that uh, spend time with Brett. Let me just leave it at that. So see if you can figure out from the voice whose father, what famous actor from today's father, is in this episode, okay? We'll tell you at the end. Here it comes, The Silver Buckle. The man in the saddle is angular and long-legged. His skin is sun-dyed brown. The gun in his holster is gray steel and rainbow mother of pearl, its handle unmarked. People call them both the six-shooter. The NBC Radio Network presents James Stewart as the six-shooter, a transcribed series of radio dramas based on the life of Britt Ponsett, the Texas plainsman who wandered through the western territories, leaving behind a trail of still-remembered legends. The twilight wind carried the sound of the train toward the two figures who waited hidden in a clump of maple trees. The sandy-haired man knotted a blue bandana at the back of his neck and pulled it over his face. He mounted his horse and gestured to his companion. The other man fitted a soiled handkerchief across his mouth and climbed into the saddle. Touch of spurs sent the horses forward. The train was crawling up a steep grade now, and the riders guided their mounts alongside the slowly moving cars. And then they lifted their boots out of the stirrups and swung themselves up onto a small platform behind the tender. A flicker of lamplight glinted on their revolvers as they opened the door to a passenger coach and stepped inside. For several minutes, the riderless horses continued to pace the clattering wheels. 
then the door opened again. The two men pitched off the platform and rolled down the slope of a barren ravine. And in response to the whistle, the horses trotted up to him. All right, let's go. There just wasn't any cause. Carl was deep. And all the noise the train was making, he couldn't understand what they wanted. Yeah, I know. He couldn't understand a word. He tried to make out what they were saying, but he couldn't. And when he didn't hand it over... Well, we'll get him, Mrs. Davis. Don't you worry about that. The posse's meeting here. We'll start out tonight, and we won't be back until we get him. That won't do Carl much good. Well, at least we'll make sure they don't kill nobody else in cold blood. If only I hadn't to give him that belt. If I just hadn't to give it to him. Belt? It was my anniversary present to Carl. We were married 25 years last week. That's... That's why we was taking the train trip over to Cheyenne. And, and that's why I give him the belt. The buckle was sort of silver-like. What did that have to do with... It was the belt they wanted. Carl didn't understand when they asked him. He'd already handed over his money and his watch, and, and then one of them noticed the belt, and he said, That buckle's silver, ain't it? Give it to me. Carl couldn't make out what he was talking about. And, and the fellow got real mad, and, and he jabbed a gun into Carl's side, and, and he pulled the trigger without even giving Carl a chance now, to... Easy now, Miss Davis. And even though Carl was dying, that outlaw took the belt off him anyway. And it wasn't a silver buckle, Sheriff. It just looked like silver, but, but it wasn't the real thing. <laughs> I sure must have been sleeping sound, or I'd have heard him ride up. Of course, they've probably been as quiet as they could under the circumstances, but I usually wake up when I'm out in the range and somebody's prowling around my neighborhood. Well, Scar, he heard him, and he let me know it. All right, what's the matter, boy? What's the something? It still wasn't dawn, but there was enough light so that I could see the barrel of a forty-five and a firm-mouthed fellow standing over me, pointing the gun at my head. Howdy. What's your name, mister, and what are you doing out here? Well, I was sleeping. Don't get funny. We want straight answers, and we want them quick. Are you two of you, huh? At least two. Oh? We're waiting, mister. My name's Ponsett. Britt Ponsett. That's right. And as for what I'm doing out here, well, this is a free range. A man's got a right to cross over it and stop off once in a while to take a snooze if he takes a mind to it. You trying to claim you're the six-shooter? I'm not claiming anything. You asked my name, I told you. How do we know you ain't lying? How do we know that's who you are? I guess you don't, unless you're willing to take my word for it. Let's see your gun, mister. How's that? I've heard folks tell about the gun Britt Ponsett carries. Oh? No, don't touch it. I can see it plain enough. What do you think, kid? Uh, I guess he's Ponsett, all right. Leastways, that six-shooter sure fits a description. Oh? 
Besides, it didn't seem very likely he'd be one of the fellas we're looking for. Huh? Well, there's two of them, and he's out here all alone. Oh. Of course, yes. they could have split up, but fellas in the run ain't apt to do that. Yes, right. Well, uh, we're uh, sorry if we woke you. Mm-hmm. It's getting up time anyway. Just, uh, just who is it you boys are looking for? A couple of outlaws held up the Cheyenne train last night about uh, four miles east of Black Ledge. Oh, is that so? Yeah, there was some shooting, too. One of the passengers. We're out hunting the bandits. And my name's Kit Springer. This is my brother, Lex. Oh, yeah. Pleased to meet you. You fellas all alone? Oh, no, no. There's a posse. A little way back. Sheriff's leading them. But he thinks the robber's headed for Patch Canyon, so he's taking the posse there. We don't see it that way. You don't, huh? We figure them outlaws will try to get through Miller Pass. If they can make it, they'll be in the clear. Well, that sounds reasonable. You, uh, ain't seen nobody tonight? No, no, I can't say I have. Hmm. Reckon we figured wrong, then. They'd have to come by here on their way to the pass. This is the only trail, in. Yeah, that's right. But not saying them doesn't guarantee they weren't around. Uh, the way I was sawing wood, they could have stumbled right over my bedroll without me knowing it. Well, I guess even if our hunch was right, we couldn't find them now. Why's that? We don't know the route from here on. We ain't never been through the pass ourselves. Say, you ain't traveling in that direction by any chance. Mm, yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, I am. I'm riding over to the Jefferson Ranch on the south slope. Well, that's great. <laughs> Looks like we struck it lucky for once, Lex. What do you mean, Kit? Well, maybe Ponsett wouldn't mind us riding along with him, seeing as how he knows the way. And if we did run into them bandits, it'd be three of us to take care of them. Yeah, sure. Well, I'd be mighty glad to have some company, but it seems to me like you're letting yourselves in for a pretty long trip, just on a hunch. It's over a day from here through the pass, and there's no certainty the fellows you're after have even taken this trail, you know. Oh, I guess we can spare the time. <laughs> There's a $1,500 reward being offered. $1,500? Oh, wow. If the posse does catch him, the money will be split 40 ways to breakfast. We won't be losing out on much. But if we run into him ourselves, well, you see what I mean. Sure. Uh, that sure. is, if uh, you ain't got no objections. No. No, no. Like I said, I'd welcome a little company. I'll fix us some chow, and then... Are we, can... we uh... Yeah, we already had breakfast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, how about a cup of coffee, anyway? Well, that's, uh, that's mighty kind of you, but maybe we ought to get started. In case them outlaws did get past you during the night, we wouldn't want them to pile up too much of a lead on us. We could stop for food later. You boys sure are anxious. $1,500 is a lot of money. Well, that's true enough. Okay, I, I guess I can hold off a couple hours. Get the horses, Link. Yeah, sure. Can I uh, give you a hand with that bedroll? No, no. I can manage. Yes, sir. It was real lucky us bumping into you. How's that? I mean, you know on this trail and all. Otherwise, we'd have had to turn back. Uh, you fellas may be off on a wild goose chase, you know. No, no, I, I just don't think so. Somehow I've got the doggondest feeling we're headed right. Well, as soon as I get scars saddled up, we'll start finding out. Easy, boy. Easy now.
wasn't much of a trail. Just a little rocky path that hugged the side of the mountain and wound around tighter and tighter like the string on a top. It was hard riding, too. Every now and then, we'd, we'd come to a horseshoe turn, and the horses had to cut so sharp they pulled their back legs in under their bellies and left us sort of hanging out over the ledge, looking down at an awful lot of air. Easy, 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 easy now. Boy, I got a hand at the Springer brothers. They, they didn't complain. I'd taken this route before, so I knew what to expect. It was all new to them. After three or four of these loops, though, they, they did start dabbing their foreheads with their handkerchiefs, but neither one of them said anything about turning back. And to tell you the truth, I was doing a little sweating myself. That's a pretty steep trail, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Now, well, these horses are getting tired. Maybe we ought to rest a spell next wide space we come to. We can keep going for a while yet. Well, maybe they can. I'm getting tired myself. He's right. Get... We can't risk a stumble, not up here. Okay, okay. Ah, here. Ah, it looks like we're coming to a good spot up here. Yeah. Whoa. Whoa, Scar. Oh, there, boys. Oh, oh. Ah, I'm afraid you boys are going to be disappointed. Huh? Ah, about that $1,500. Huh? There haven't been any fresh tracks along the trail. Leastwise, I haven't seen any. I was so busy riding, I didn't have time to do much looking. Well, if somebody was just ahead of us, you'd think we'd spot a sign of them here and there. Maybe somehow we got ahead of them. Well, in that case, there wouldn't be much point you fellas going on, would there? Well, we've come this far. We might as well go the rest of the way. All right, it's up to you. <sighs> sure is hot. Yeah. Yeah, I reckon I won't be wanting that coffee after all. Uh, I'll tell you one thing. I'm getting rid of this jacket. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. I'd say, uh, that belt there, that mighty fancy belt you're wearing there, kid. Huh? I, I don't think I've ever seen a buckle like that before. Silver, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's silver. Yeah, it's real pretty. Too bad you got it all spotted up like that. Spotted? Yeah, that... That uh, looks like a sort of blood you got on there. Oh. Why, I... I, uh, I cut my hand the other day. It must have been when it happened. I, I didn't realize I'd smeared up my belt, though. Doggone it. Probably have a heck of a time getting the leather clean again. Yeah. Yeah, blood stains are apt to be sort of permanent. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame, nice to belt like that. As soon as the horses were rested, we started off again. But the higher we got, the harder it was for the animals to keep moving. The air was thinner now. You noticed it every time you took in a gulp. And the trail seemed even fainter than before. Oh, a couple of times we missed it completely and just went off on a tangent. And then we had to swing around and try to pick up where we'd gone wrong. I'll never catch up with them at this rate. No, I wouldn't worry about it, Kit. What do you mean? I still haven't seen any fresh tracks. 
Looks to me like nobody's been through here since last rain. If you'd keep your eyes on the trail instead of looking for horseshoe marks, we might not get lost so often. Easy, kid. I told you boys you were letting yourselves in for something. Yeah, yeah, you told us. Well, come on, come on. Let's see if we can make up some time. I sure couldn't help notice that the longer we rode, the less friendly Kit Springer got. I sort of put it down to the fact that he must have been sort of worn out. We weren't taking any pleasure, John, that was for sure. I couldn't blame him for being a little down at the mouth. But there was one thing that sort of troubled me about this fellow. Something he said kept pecking at the back of my brain. Oh, I, uh, I cut my hand the other day. That, that must have been when it happened. I, I didn't realize I'd smeared my belt. I shifted around and glanced back over my shoulder. Kit had one hand on the saddle horn and the other was gripping the reins. And the cut must have been all healed up by now. At least he didn't seem to have any trouble with it. And I cut deep enough to spot his belt that way. It must have taken several days to get well. Funny, he'd never noticed the blood on his belt before I mentioned it to him. Well, one thing was certain, Kit Springer sure couldn't be much of a dude. The sun finally went down and we made camp for the night. We managed to find a pretty good-sized level spot right above the trail. Lex had built a fire. I cooked up a mess of beans and some pan bread. Kit didn't seem to be very hungry, though. Moon ought to be coming up pretty soon. Oh, another hour or so. Think it'll give off much light? Oh, some, I guess. Not enough to see by, huh? To see what? Well, you said we were almost through the pass, didn't you? Ah, well, we've got a couple, three more miles. Well, why do we have to stop here, then? The horses oh, can feel no, their way. Just, just simmer down, Kit. Just simmer down. It's plain enough we're not going to run into those fellows you're after. They're e- either out of the pass now, or what's more likely, they never took this trail in the first place. That posse's probably captured them hours ago. Uh, some more coffee, Lex? Yeah, thanks. Kit? No, 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 I've had enough. Uh, there's a town on the other side of the pass, ain't there? Yeah, yeah, English Creek. Just a little bird. Well, spending the night there would be a whole lot better than sitting out here. You could get a bath and a shave, change of clothing. Uh, you wouldn't want to risk your neck on the trail just for a bath, would you? Oh, I guess not. But I ain't very comfortable wearing the same breeches and shirt day after day. That's so. I didn't figure you for the particular type. Well, you figured wrong, Mr. Fawcett. Kit's a real fancy Dan. Oh, that's all. Yeah, you ought to see him on Saturday night when he starts off for town. Looks like a real riverboat gambler. That's that's what he looks like. Well, there's nothing the matter with a man just because he tries to keep himself presentable, is there? No. No, nothing at all. Well, reckon we might as well turn in. All right, you fellas go ahead. I'll back the fire. You know, it's... Uh... It's funny you never used this trail before. What's so funny about it? Well, seeing as how you live in Black Ledge. We never said we lived there. No. No, I guess you didn't. Come to think of it. But, well, since you were part of Sheriff's Posse, I sort of jumped at the conclusion. We were just passing through on our way to Beaver Junction. We heard about the train robbery. Seemed like the sheriff needed all the help he could get, so we volunteered. Not to mention the reward, of course. Not to mention the reward. Hey, by the way, uh, who is the sheriff of Black Ledge now? 
What difference does it make? Well, I'm just curious, that's all. No, I, uh, I don't remember his name. It wasn't time for any formal introductions. Folks just called him Sheriff. Oh, yeah, I see. Big collie, is he? With a mustache? Look, Ponsett, you were the one who was so all fired determined on us stopping for some shut-eye. So how about settling down? Sure, sure. Night. Night. I rolled up my blanket and I turned my face toward the fire. And I... As far as I could tell, the Springer boys hadn't been lying to me. A man could join up with a posse and not find out the sheriff's name. And I guess a man could ride himself half to death on the off chance of earning him $1,500 reward if he had a mind to do it. Of course... It hadn't worked out. Kit's hunch on the train robbers uh, were using this pass. It just hadn't worked out. But I'd played plenty of wild hunches myself. So About then, I dropped off to sleep. The last thing I remember is hearing my mind say... Maybe you're wrong, Ponsett. Maybe those outlaws are using the pass after all. It just kept echoing through my head. Maybe you're wrong, Ponsett. Well, it must have been six, seven hours later when I... At first, uh, I wasn't sure what it was that woke me up. One of the horses, maybe. Uh, uh... Oh, I started to drift off again. Lex. Lex. Shh, shh. What's the matter? It's almost done. You gotta start moving. What about Ponset? Are you awake? I don't think so. Brett. Brett. I don't know what it was that kept me from answering back. But I just laid there, hardly breathing, not moving. Not even opening my eyes. Is he still asleep? Yeah. We ain't gonna need him the rest of the way, Lex. That's what I figured. Trouble is, he knows our names, what we look like. Sooner or later, he'd put two and two together. You didn't have to tell him who we was. I knew it would make no difference one way or the other. Yo, you're gonna shoot him, kid? Nope. You are. Me? Yeah. I'm already wanted for a couple of killings, Lex. But they're only after you for robbery. Even though you're my brother, if they're going got too rough someday, you might want to ease out of the partnership. You know better than that, kid. I'll know it for sure. After you kill Ponset. Well? Okay, kid. Whatever you say. I'll get the horses. Hurry it up. I heard Kit move off across the clearing. For a minute, that's all I heard. Then legs started moving, too. I lifted my eyelids just a hair, and I saw him through the lashes. He pulled his revolver out of the holster. My gun belt was lying right beside me, and I inched my left hand toward it real slow so he wouldn't notice. I felt my fingers slide across a couple of stones, but the gun was still a little space beyond. I hadn't touched it yet. Alex was standing right over me now. I wasn't going to have much more time... 
If I didn't get a grip on that gun the next second or two, I spun over as he fired. But the bullet had seared my shoulder and dug into my chest. My right hand jerked up and I let fire. First I thought I'd missed him. I saw his fingers start to squeeze off another shot, but he, he never finished pulling the trigger. His whole body was shaking like an aspen tree, and he just tilted forward. I slid out of the way as he fell. I, I hadn't had time to feel the pain before now, but it started tearing through me so bad I almost let out a yell. One shot ought to have been enough to... Lex! Just hold it there, Kit. What? Seems you were right about the train bandits using this trail to, to, to. The words wouldn't come out. And everything started blurring in front of my eyes, and I could barely keep from dropping my gun. It was getting light now. Kit could see how bad I was shot. He whipped his revolver up from his side. The sound kind of jerked me back to my senses, and I managed to pull the trigger. I knew my aim wouldn't be so good, but it was good enough to send Kit diving back of a rock for cover. And there was a tree stump not not more than a couple of feet away, and I managed to roll myself behind it. I know you're hurt, Ponson. You can't hold out much longer. I sure wasn't in any way to argue with him. If I... If I could just get off a couple of more shots, maybe... Maybe he'd think twice before it, but I didn't have enough strength to... That that couldn't be kit-fired. I pushed my chin up to the edge of the stump. What? Are there horses coming up the trail from the same direction we'd come? And for a minute, I couldn't think who, but... And then I remembered... The posse, they'd, they'd been following us all the time. That's why Kit was so anxious to stay on the move. Well, that's the sheriff, Springer. I wouldn't plan on going much further. I could see him. I knew he was calling his horse. There was only one way back trail. He had to ride past me in the open. I propped myself up against the side of his stump and I... Shifted my gun to my left hand, and for a minute I thought the trigger was stuck, and then I. (sighs) He's coming too, Sheriff. Yeah, good, good. How you feeling, Brad? What? Doc? Well, Doc Easton, are you? Yeah. What the Sam hell are you doing out here? <laughs> well, there's no law saying a doctor can't go along with a posse, is there? No, no. Well, for my sake, it's a good thing you did. Well, what about... What about Kit Springer? Did you... Did you catch up with him, Sheriff? You saved us the trouble, Brett. Why? Well, I, I couldn't have done that. I, he must have got away. I, uh, that last shot of mine that was a mile wide. Well, maybe you didn't exactly hit him, but you sure scared the daylights out of his horse. What? Yeah, we saw the whole thing from down below. Springer was just turning onto the trail when you fired. His horse reared and started slipping over the edge. Springer tried to jump clear, but he just couldn't seem to tear himself loose from that saddle. Yeah, it was the weirdest thing, Brett. When we finally found him, his body was still fastened to that saddle. Yeah? Yeah. The belt he was wearing had got caught onto the horn somehow. That must have been what drug him along when his horse fell. 
What happened, all right? Yeah. Well, how about it, Britt? You going to be able to ride on into English Creek after I finish bandaging you up? Yeah, I'll do my best, Doc. I'll sure do my best. Six Shooter is a transcribed NBC Radio Network production in association with Review Productions. It is based on a character created by Frank Burt and is written by him. Mr. Stewart may soon be seen in the Universal International picture, The Glenn Miller Story. Others in the cast were Eleanor Audley, Forrest Lewis, Bill Conrad, Joel Cranston, and Frank Gerstle. Special music for this program was by Basil Adlam. And the entire production is under the direction of Jack Johnstone. All characters and incidents were fictitious. And any resemblance to actual characters or incidents is purely coincidental. This is Hal Gibney speaking. Spend 30 minutes with Sunday at Home next on the NBC Radio Network. Well, we went all the way back to January the 17th in 1954 for that episode of The Six Shooter that was entitled The Silver Buckle. Just a couple notes on that. Did you notice who the narrator was on that one? It was William Conrad. Also, uh, let me see, others in the um, episode were Eleanor Audley as Mrs. Davis, Forrest Lewis played the sheriff, Frank Gerstle played Kit Springer, and Lex Springer was played by Joel Cranston. And of course, his son is Brian Cranston, a very, very popular, very obviously talented actor. And uh, I guess it runs in the family. Brian Cranston, uh, the son of Joel Cranston, who played Kit Springer in that episode of The Six Shooter. By the way, this was the last episode that Hal Gibney served as the announcer. The following week, John Wald took over that, uh, that position. So what were you doing in 1954? January 17th, 1954. I believe I was in kindergarten. I believe I started kindergarten in 53. How about you? Where were you? Were you alive yet? Uh, do you remember 1954? I remember a lot about the 50s. I guess that's about the time my memories started coming back. I remember uh, the 53 Ford. My dad had, no, it was a 51 Ford, excuse me. 53 Chevy, my grandfather had. Uh, my dad had a 51 Ford. He said it was the worst car he ever owned. I, I can still remember those. I can remember going to kindergarten. Longfellow Elementary School is still there today. looks just about exactly the same as it did. I guess they've made a few little additions. That's in, in Long Beach, California. Um, interesting. If you have any memories of 1954, why don't you let me know? Do you remember this song, which was a big hit in 1954? <laughs> 
called out Change partners And you waltzed away from me Now my arms feel so empty As I gaze around the floor And I'll keep on changing partners Till I hold you once more Though we danced for one moment And too soon we had to part In that wonderful moment Something happened to my heart So I'll keep changing partners Till you're in my arms and there Oh my darling, I will never Change partners again song of course was changing partners patty page was right at patty page and doris day both were right in that transition period where they were transitioning over from big bands to uh rock the early days of rock and roll 1954 also had the song uh, shake rattle and roll by uh, bill haley see frank sinatra had a few in there tony bennett who's still with us it's amazing he had uh recording of stranger in paradise Dean Martin's big hit, That's Amore, you know. When the Moon Hits Your Eye Like a Big Pizza Pie, That's Amore. Uh, Oh My Papa by uh, Eddie Fisher. You know, I can remember going to dances. Well, maybe it was dance classes, but it seems to me we would go to dances too. And they would do things like uh, change partners or ladies' choice. They would would say, this one's going to be a a stroll. Or this one's going to be a a cha-cha. Were those school dances that were that way, or were they, was it, hmm, I don't know. But I, I can remember that happening quite often. The stroll, remember the stroll? Oh, come, let's stroll. Oh, my, memories, memories, memories. You know, I, I guess one of the reasons those songs mean something to me is I can remember my parents listening to them. In the car when I was a little kid going on trips, or 
in the kitchen, my mom, if she had the radio on, if she was listening to music instead of, you know, entertainment programs like soap operas or Arthur Godfrey or something like that. These were the songs that uh, that they liked. And when I look, think back at it, they were they were a very young couple then, just probably just in their early 30s. So a lot of those songs uh, from that period bring back some very, very warm memories. Something familiar. Something familiar. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Ah! Something appealing. Something appalling. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Nothing with kings. Nothing with crowns. Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Situation, no complications. Nothing portentous or polite. Ready tomorrow, comedy tonight. <laughs> well, this week on the Comedy Corner, we're going to 720 Maple Drive in Beverly Hills, California, to see what George and Gracie are up to. It's the George Burns and Gracie Allen Show. This one was originally broadcast on the 20th of March in 1947. And it's entitled uh, loosely Crime Wave, Gracie Gets a Dog for Protection. There's some funny bits in here. There's a funny bit with uh, Mel Blank as the postman. And I would imagine Mel Blank is supplying the dog noises in this too. And you can kind of get that from the audience. At one point, the mailman is talking to the dog, and they're going back and forth, and the audience really gets tickled. So I imagine that's what's going on. By the way, another interesting point, their actual address, George and Gracie actually lived at 720 Maple Drive, but I believe on the show, I believe they said their address was something like 312 Maple Drive in Beverly Hills. Now, exactly why they did that, I don't know. Maybe there was no 312, or maybe they got a kick looking out their window down the street and watching all the tourists <laughs> traipse up to the wrong address, looking for George and Gracie. Who knows? Anyway, this one is uh, f- has some funny moments. Uh, so let's listen along as George and Gracie get a dog for protection. Another cup of Maxwell House coffee, George? Sure. Pour me a cup, Gracie. You know, Maxwell House is always good to the last (laughs) drop. And that drop's good, too. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. (laughs) With yours truly, Bill Goodwin, the music of Meredith Wilson and his orchestra. Our happy postman, Mel Blank, Elliot Lewis, and Robert Bentz. For your Thursday night comedy enjoyment, it's George and Gracie. And for your everyday coffee-drinking enjoyment, it's Maxwell House, the coffee that's always good to the last drop. It's breakfast time as we look in at the Burns home today. And George and Gracie are looking at the morning paper. My goodness, George, did you read this? Some burglars sawed through a man's door and took everything in his house. Yeah, there's really a crime wave. Every day you read about more burglaries and robberies. Oh, George, why don't you ask Bill Goodwin to move in with us? Why? Well, I'd feel safer with a man around the house. (laughs) 
How about me? Yeah, you'd be safer too. <laughs> Thanks, but I can protect both of us. Well, George, if you won't let Bill Goodwin move in, let's go down to the pet shop and get a watchdog. I'll feel safer if I have protection. But, honey, when you've got me, you've got protection. I'm just the same as a dog. <laughs> Why, George, that's the first time you've ever agreed with my mother. <laughs> Let's go to the pet shop. Oh, here we are, George. Potter's Pet Shop. How do you do? May I help you? Well, yes, I um, want to look over your supply of dogs. Very well. Would you like a little peek? No, I want to take a real good look. <laughs> By a peek, madam, I meant a Pekingese, the royal dog of China. Oh, no, that wouldn't do at all. I can't speak a word of Chinese. <laughs> madam... Suppose I wanted to tell this Chinese dog his dinner was ready. By the time I got an interpreter, his chop suey would be cold. Gracie, that's enough about the Chinese dog All right, dear Thank you, sir Perhaps, madam, you would prefer a bulldog No, no, I prefer a burglar dog We uh, don't expect bulls to break into our house I'm beginning to catch on At least I think I am You want a dog to protect you from burglars Yes Good How about a boxer? No, I don't want the dog to box with the burglars I want him to bite them Madam Though if he wore boxing gloves It would keep his nails from scratching the furniture Sir, is this your wife? Yes <laughs> Is she often like this? Just overlook it <laughs> Takes practice, I suppose Yes Well, here I go again Keep trying, kid <laughs> Madam I withdraw my suggestion about the boxer. Instead, how about a Doberman pincher? No, I don't want the dog to pinch the burglars either. <laughs> if, you, if you've got a Doberman biter, I'll take it. Keep punching, kid. <laughs> how about a setter? No. He sounds too lazy. <laughs> how about a pointer? Mm. He sounds too impolite. How about going to another shop? We can work something out You work it out I'll see you later I'm going home You'll have to excuse my husband, Mr. Potter He's the nervous type I understand Believe me I... <laughs> Would you still like to buy a dog? Yes, yeah Oh, this dog is kind of cute What is he? A Spitz Choose tobacco, huh? <laughs> Day and night Oh, well, then I better not take him Oh, here's a wonderful dog a great big fellow. What kind is he? A St. Bernard. He's the dog that's famous for carrying a keg of brandy around. Oh. It seems to me that your dogs are not very well brought up. That one chews and this one drinks. <laughs> I'm sure a good home would straighten him out. Well, he's certainly the right size to frighten away burglars. Hello, boy. Good. Don't bother to wrap him up. I'll just carry him. Yes. Well, on second thought, he's big enough to carry me. Yes. 
I'll drop by tomorrow and tell you if my husband likes them. Well, not tomorrow, madam. I've decided to take a week off in a sanitarium. <laughs> Goodbye now. <laughs> You finally bought one, mm-hmm. huh? St. Bernard. Oh, he's so big and friendly. Except when he sees a bum or a tramp, of course. Then he's guaranteed to growl. Good. Let's take a look at the pooch. Doggy, this is your master. The man you're going to protect. Say hello to him. <laughs> Doggy, don't growl at him. You're only supposed to growl at bums. Now say hello. Isn't he making a little mistake? Well, I don't know. They're awfully intelligent. Gracie, you better get rid of this forbearing elephant. He doesn't like me. Well, just show him that you're his master. Stand there and look him right in the eye. Okay. Kneel down, doggy, so George can look you in the eye. <laughs> Forget it. How can we feed this big mutt? Oh, it won't be expensive. When we buy our meat, the butcher could throw in something for the dog. The dog opens his mouth, we can throw in the butcher. <laughs> but George, think of the protection he'll give us. He's trained to bite any suspicious character when you say sick him. <laughs> George Burns, get your leg out of that dog's mouth. It was his idea, not mine. Call him off. Let go of George's leg, doggy. If you want an old bone, I'll get you one at the market. Well, this is going to be one happy little family. I can see. Come on, sit up. That's it. Now shake hands. Now lie down and roll over. Roll over. That's good. Now play dead. Aw, oh, that's wonderful, George. Now, doggy, see if you can do it. Yeah, I showed you how, you big stupid mutt. Oh, quiet, quiet. Oh, George, doesn't it give you a wonderful sense of protection to have a big, fierce watchdog in the house? If any undesirable person tries to get in, you just say, sick him. George, stop teasing him. Get your leg out of his mouth. (laughs) Turn loose, turn loose. And Gracie, stop saying that. Every time you do, he grabs me. (gasps) Oh, dear, someone's at the door. I'm afraid to open it. The dog might bite them. Good, I could use a rest. Come in. Good morning, Mr. and Mrs. Burns. (laughs) Here's your mail. Oh, my goodness. You've got a Shetland pony. No, that's our new watchdog. Hello, big boy. Oh, don't try to pet him. He'll tear you apart. <laughs> Look at that big moose. He's licking the postman's hand. Oh, I love dogs. I've got a big old ugly bloodhound, but my wife wants me to get rid of him. Why? I keep making the same mistake. I come home and pat my wife and kiss the bloodhound. <laughs> they look exactly alike. You'd better not say that around the house. You're right, the dog would kill me. 
would you like to take this dog home, Mr. Postman? He despises me. Oh, no, he doesn't, George. If you were in danger, he'd protect you. Mr. Postman, you start kicking George and see what happens. Very well. Take that. Oh, now, you see, George, he's protecting you. Protecting me? He's got me by the seat of my pants. <laughs> well, sure, that's so the postman can't kick you there. <laughs> Let go of me, you monster. Oh, goodbye, Mr. Burns. Remember, keep smiling. <laughs> Keep smiling, he says, with this canine Sidney Greenstreet hanging, hanging out of my pants. Oh, quiet, quiet. George, I'm going out to the kitchen to get the dog some water. While I'm gone, make friends with him. How? I'd love to. Well, they say music half charms. Sing to him. Let him, let him hear his master's voice. That's the idea. Well, you see, you sing so beautifully, Sugar Throat. I do? Oh, yes. You're the male Margaret Truman. Well, I'll try Now, I'll be right back Well, get a load of this, Pooch Ain't misbehaving all by myself No! Hey. <laughs> Cut that out Ain't misbehaving all no! by <laughs> Ain't misbehaving no! Look, give me a chance. Ain't misbehaving all by myself. George, that was beautiful. Especially that high note in the end. (laughs) That was the dog. Oh. Well, sing some more. I won't do it. Well, just hum then. Oh, that was beautiful. That's the door buzzer. (laughs) Now, who could that be? I hope it's the dog catcher. Come in. Hello, all. Oh, you got a St. Bernard. Nice doggy. Oh, look out, Meredith. He'll tear you limb from limb. <laughs> oh. Look, George. He's licking Meredith's face. Oh, fine. He tears off my leg and drools on every stranger. Well, all dogs like me, George. When I was a boy back on the farm in Mason City, Iowa, I had a wonderful dog named Rover. If a fox tried to rob the hen house, I'd just say, sick him. Whoa. George. George, can't you keep your leg out of that dog's mouth? Yes, George. That seems very inconsiderate. How would you like it if I put my leg in your mouth? I'd love it. George. Tell us more about Rover, Meredith. Well, we were more than just a boy and his dog. We were real friends. He shared his bed with me. Oh, Meredith, didn't it bother you when he scratched for fleas? No, it felt good. (laughs) Well, sir, one day poor Rover got a hold of some bad food and began to sicken. To what? Sicken. George, there you go again, sticking your leg in the dog's mouth. Yes, George. I cannot stand here and watch you torment this noble animal. Do you mind if I go? If you will. Some watchdog you dragged home. The postman and Meredith, two guys he's never seen before, walk in and he loves them. Well, he probably sensed that they were friends of ours. But just let some stranger come along and I'll bet he'll tear them apart. Yes. Answer the door, darling. I'm going to fix some lunch. Yes? 
How about buying some magazine subscriptions, old-timer? Old-timer? Yeah, I got some great ones here. The Glass Blowers Journal. I don't want any. And get your foot out of the door. Now, don't try to brush me off, old-timer. This is what I've been waiting for. Okay, dog. Sick of... Whoop! Not me! Not me! <laughs> Grab him! Well, what a nice big dog. Hello, Buster. <laughs> Him he likes, too. Well, as I was saying, old-timer, how about a 10-year subscription to the Motorman's Weekly? The Motorman's Weekly? Get out of here. <laughs> Looks like the dog's on my side. You better take the Motorman's Weekly. Okay, I'll take it. Now, on your way. Uh, not so fast, old-timer. How about a 20-year subscription to the Chinchilla Breeders' Gazette? <laughs> Are you kidding? Beat it. <laughs> Sign right here, old-timer. This is murder. It's Meredith Wilson and his music Till the clouds roll by This doghouse is finished. In you go. Hi, George. What are you doing? Oh, hello, Bill. I'm finishing a doghouse for this four-legged Swiss Alp that Gracie bought. What's he doing? Oh, it's kind of a race. I'm building a house for him, and he's digging a hole for me. <laughs> it's just a question of which one of us finishes first. Well, geez, a nice big dog. Hi, fella. <laughs> oh, fine. You, he likes, too. Me, he bites in the leg. Bites your leg, huh? Must be a southern dog. Likes ham hocks. <laughs> Go away. There. The 
doghouse is finished. Okay, Mutt. In you go. <laughs> Come on, get in the doghouse. <laughs> okay, then I'll push you in. Come on now. Well, this will do it. Let me out of here. Let me out. <laughs> You know, it's funny how some dumb animals are smarter than other dumb animals. Where's George? Usual place, in the doghouse. Oh, George Burns, you come out of there. How do you expect to make friends with this dog? First you keep sticking your leg in his mouth, and now you take his house. Gracie, either this dog leaves or I leave. One of us has to get out. But, George, I need protection against burglars. Well, then choose between us. Either the dog protects you or I protect you. Now, which do you keep? Your husband or a St. Bernard? Well, naturally, there's only one choice to make. Sure. Will you take care of him, Bill? Give him a nice warm place to sleep and food to eat. Oh, sure, Gracie. I'll take care of him. Come along, George. <laughs> George, huh? Hey, Gracie, did you hear what the comedian said? <laughs> he thinks you want me to go instead of the dog. Straighten him out. Bill... See that George gets his Maxwell House coffee every morning. Huh? I will, Gracie. That's a perfect way to start each day. Rich, delicious, mellow Maxwell House coffee. Uh, how many cups do you drink, George? Three. I mean, there's a mistake. No, you can have as many as you want. After all, Maxwell House is bought and enjoyed by more people than any other brand of coffee in the world. And no wonder careful selection and blending of premium Latin American coffees plus radiant roasting... Add up to that famous good-to-the-last-drop flavor you get in no other coffee. Gracie, you want me to go to Bill's and the dog to stay here? Well, just till the burglar scare is over, George. Take care of him, Bill. See that he takes his exercise every morning. Have you got a window he can open? Uh, yes. Oh, that's his exercise. <laughs> Gracie. And, Bill, be sure to test his bath water before he gets in the tub. To see if it's too hot? No, too deep. Gracie Remember, Bill, I'm sending you my most precious possession Oh, that won't be necessary, Gracie I got plenty of Maxwell House coffee Look, you Silex jockey for two cents No home should be without Maxwell House coffee, Gracie And no home has to be without it Maxwell House is the very best in coffee drinking enjoyment Yet it costs but a fraction of a penny more per cup Than the cheapest coffee you can buy that's why so many millions agree today's coffee buy is Maxwell House, the coffee that's always good to the last drop. Now, come along, George. Now, wait a minute. Goodbye, wait a... George. Be good to him, Bill. Help him get dressed in the morning. I can dress myself. I know, but it looks so much neater if it's laced in the back. <laughs> yeah, if his corset isn't laced up, the stays might stick him. Might what? Stick him. <laughs> oh, George Burns. For the last time, get your leg out of that dog's mouth. Well, that does it. First thing in the morning, this snapping turtle goes back to the pet shop. Now I'm going in and take an aspirin. Well, looks like you're going to lose your dog, Gracie. <laughs> oh, it'll break my heart. Bill, I've got an idea. Tonight, you'll rob our house. Huh? I mean, you'll pretend to be a burglar. The dog will chase you away, be a big hero, and George will let me keep him. Well, I'd like to do it, Gracie, but at 8.15, I've got a date with the girl I'm engaged to marry. Well, call her and postpone it. I can't. I don't know her name. <laughs> All right. Rob the house at 8 o'clock. 
I'll get George to bed by then. Yeah, okay, Gracie. I'll see you at eight. Oh, ho, ho, hum. My, I'm getting tired. Let's go to bed, dear. Go to bed? Mm-hmm. It's only eight o'clock. It's too early. But going to bed early puts roses in your cheeks. I've already got roses in my cheeks. But I don't like yellow roses. <laughs> I'm not going to bed. I'm not sleepy. All right. I'll read to you from this magazine that the salesman left here. The Motorman's Weekly? Put it down. But this looks like a wonderful article. It's called Life Can Be Beautiful on a Streetcar in Scranton. Sounds beautiful. By John Connors, Motorman, Junior Grade. He says, uh, I like my job very much. John hey, Connor says that. Yeah. It is a good job. The first stop I make is at the corner of First and Main. There I pick up passengers. Some are men, some are women. Hmm. The second stop I make is at the corner of Second and Main. There I pick up more passengers. Some, some are, are men, some, some are, are women. women. <laughs> the third stop... Is there, is there much more of that? Oh, pages of it. Isn't it fascinating? Oh, it's fascinating, yes. <laughs> the third stop I make is at the corner of Third and Main. There I pick up more passengers. Some are men, some, some are, are women. women. Yes, yes. I don't pick up many children. They like to walk. The fourth I step... think I'll go to bed. Oh, that's a good <laughs> idea, George. You run along and I'll lock up. Yes. Good night. Good night, dear. Mm. Thought I'd never get rid of him. Poor Bill must be waiting outside. Are you there, Bill? Yeah. Let's hurry. My babe is waiting. All right. The dog is in the den. Yeah. When you go in, he'll bark and I'll call George. Then you jump out the window and let him see you running away. Yeah, okay. Come on. Oh, darn it. The dog's asleep. Wake up, doggy. Wake up. Oh, please, please wake up, doggy. We've got a burglar. I don't think anything will wake him, Gracie. Oh, why not? I just noticed I've been standing on his tail. <laughs> oh, Bill, you make a noise like a dog. Lay your ears back and howl. <laughs> Me? Well, sure, I've seen you do it many times at Hollywood and Vine. <laughs> okay. Oh! But the dog scared him away See, there he goes out the window My golly, you're right mm, Now aren't you proud of our watchdog He's a hero Yeah, I owe him an apology Doggy, I was wrong about you You're... you're... <laughs> hey, he's asleep Ah, uh -huh, well, he's exhausted He leaped at the burglar and chased him around the room and bit him Wait a and... minute, wait a minute You're making this up This silly pooch is dead to the world George, he almost tore the burglar apart. I didn't even have to say second. Won't let go of my leg. What a watchdog. There he is. Sound asleep again. Look at him. Sprawled out on the floor like a rug. Isn't that awful? Oh, it certainly is. Pick him up, George, and put him in our bed. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Good night.
Join us again next week when we'll all be back. George Burns, Gracie Allen, Meredith Wilson and his orchestra, and yours truly, Bill Goodwin. The George Burns and Gracie Allen show is written by Paul Henning and Keith Fowler. Until next Thursday, then, good night and good luck from the makers of Maxwell House, America's number one preferred brand of coffee. Always good to the last drop. And now stay tuned in for Noah Webster Says, which follows immediately over most of these stations. This is NBC, the National Broadcasting Company. Burns and Allen, George and Gracie. From March the 20th, 1947, that was Crime Wave, Gracie Gets a Dog for Protection. Did you like that one? There were some funny spots in it. I like the shows that are situational, although the dog, I guess, was the situation. We played a, a Burns and Allen, oh, a couple of years ago. It was entitled uh, Gracie Adopts Mickey Rooney. And that one was laugh out loud funny. Very, very funny. Did you notice on that Meredith Wilson was their band leader? And, of course, he wrote the music band. And I noticed there he said uh, when he had a dog back in, I think it was Mason City, Iowa. And, of course, the music band took place in Iowa. And that was the whole the whole idea that these Iowans were gullible and could be brought under the charms of Professor Harold Hill. Great play. Great play. Great music. One other thing in here, uh, Gracie mentioned something about the, the silver throat of Margaret Truman. I remember Margaret Truman as an author in her later life. She wrote a series of mysteries about murder in the White House. Of course, this was Margaret Truman was Harry Truman, Harry and Bess Truman's daughter. And she was uh, born in 1924. So when this show came on, she was 23 years old. But she attended school in Independence, Missouri, where, where she was born. And uh, you can still go there today and see the family home. And it's, it's really, if you're ever in that area, in the Kansas City area, you've got to take a trip over there. Because Harry was quite a guy. They've left the home the way it was. And when you go in, they still have the linoleum on the floor. And, and where it started to peel up, he would take thumbtacks and, and hammer them down. And I guess Bess lived there until she died. All right, anyway, I get off the point. Uh, Margaret Truman uh, went to school in Independence until her father was elected to the Senate in 1934. She earned a Bachelor of Arts degree in 1946 from George Washington University. And Margaret received operatic vocal training and began singing as a career, or hopefully as a career. And she made her debut in a radio recital in March of 1947. Well, <laughs> the reviewers were not always kind to her. And a lot of them mentioned that she was very pretty to look at on stage, but her singing wasn't, wasn't the greatest. In 1950, a Washington Post music critic uh, let's see, what was his name? Paul Hume wrote that, and I'm going to quote this. Truman was, quote, extremely attractive on the stage, but cannot sing very well. She is flat a good deal of the time and still cannot sing with anything approaching a professional finish, unquote. Well, Harry Truman, being Harry Truman, wrote to Hume and said, quote, someday I hope to meet you. 
When that happens, you'll need a new nose, a lot of beefsteak for black eyes, and perhaps a supporter for down below, unquote. A 1951 Time magazine covered featured uh, Margaret Truman with a single musical note floating by her head. However, she did perform on stage, radio, and television until the end of the 1950s. Harry Truman, quite a guy. I don't remember Harry Truman. Uh, I, I, I remember seeing him on the news and things. I don't remember him being president. Eisenhower was elected in 52, so I guess I was just too young. I never remember President Truman. I remember remember Ike. What's that, Chester? Oh, that's right, we do. Uh, I was afraid maybe that episode of Burns and Allen wouldn't be funny enough, so I thought I'd, I'd throw something at you here. And we have just a segment of the Bickersons. And this is just a 10-minute segment that was from the Dreamtime radio show, and this is entitled John's New Fishing Pole. Hope you enjoy it. And now, Don Amici and Francis Langford as John and Blanche Bickerson with Danny Thomas as Brother Amos in The Honeymoon is Over, written by Phil Rapp. The Bickersons have retired. Mrs. Bickerson lies tense and silent in the darkness, while poor husband John, insomniac extraordinary, engages in another grueling bout with the dread affliction that borders on madness, lethargica profundus. Listen. What's the matter? Nobody would believe what I go through every night of my life. I lie awake for hours listening to that groaning and grunting and whining and giggling and snoring and snarling. I'm sick of it, John. Yeah, me too. Who's doing it, Blanche? <laughs> Must be that lieutenant. You're doing it. And you haven't missed a single night since we got married. Missed what? Snoring. It's unbelievable. I don't believe it. Good night, Blanche. Good night, nothing. Why doesn't somebody invent something to wake a person up when they start to snore? They don't have to invent it. I married it. Very funny. Oh, you're so funny, John Bickerson. Well, you're not going to enjoy yourself while I suffer. Get out of that silly position and sleep like a normal human being. What difference does it make to you what position I'm in? It makes a lot of difference. You can't possibly breathe, right, the way you're all wound up. You've got one knee up against your chin and and your head is under the pillow and one foot's hanging out of the bed. Go on, put that foot where it belongs. If I did, you wouldn't sit down for a week. <laughs> That's right, threaten me. A lot you care that I'm on the verge of a nervous breakdown. My face is full of lines, I've got dark circles under my eyes, my cheeks are hollow. I look worse than an old witch. It's true, isn't it? I wouldn't say that. <laughs> Why not, John? I'd be awake for the rest of the night. <laughs> you do think it's true, though, don't you? What's true? I look worse than an old witch. You don't look worse than an old witch. Why do you emphasize worse? 
All right, you don't look worse than an old witch. That sounds even more horrible. Oh, Blanche, why don't you just relax and go to sleep? Stop worrying about how you look. Every woman worries about how she looks. I suppose you know I spend half my allowance in the beauty parlor. I'll have to raise your allowance. (laughs) Put out the lights, will you? I'm so sick, I don't think I'll live another month. What's the matter with you now? I get terrible dizzy spells and palpitation of the heart. Every few minutes, I get a burning sensation. I think I'm going to dry up. You say it, but you won't do it. (laughs) I'm sick. I know I'm at death's door. Well, go see Dr. Marvin. He'll pull you through. (laughs) How can you lie there and watch me writhe in agony? Right now, my pulse is going like a trip hammer. Oh, let me see. Oh, there's nothing wrong with your pulse. It's steady as clockwork. You've got your fingers on my wristwatch. What time is it? It's half past three. Oh, John, I know I'm going to die. Oh, you're not going to die. Every single time I get a premonition, it comes true. And I've had this dying premonition a half dozen times. Well, it didn't come true, did it? Don't yell at me. Send for the doctor. Oh, you don't need the doctor. I'll handle it. Where's the bourbon? Bourbon? I don't want any bourbon. Now, will you let me help you or not? I've got the greatest cure in the world for your condition. All you have to do is poach two eggs in bourbon. I won't eat eggs poached in bourbon. You don't eat the eggs. You drink the gravy. (laughs) Don't you dare fix me any of your hideous remedies. All you want to do is finish me off. Well, if you don't want me to help you, stop complaining. You wouldn't talk that way to Gloria Gooseby. Oh, now don't start with Gloria Gooseby. All she has to do is sneeze, and you run up and down looking like Dr. Kildare. The day she fainted from the heat, you were busy rubbing her ankles. Well, you always rub a person's extremities when they faint. Well, you didn't have to be so extreme. (laughs) Why didn't you rub her hands? Leah was rubbing her hands. I can't understand what you see in that hussy. I hate her, and you know it. It's those tight slacks she wears. When she walks into a room, her eyes pop out further than yours. Nobody's eyes pop out. I mean, my eyes don't pop out at all. If you don't quit harping on Gloria Gooseby, I swear... Go on, hit me. You've done everything else. Uh, Sick as I am, maybe I'll have to have an operation. An ambulance will come in the middle of the night and take me away. An emergency. There's no emergency. I might even die on the table. And if I do live, I'll lie there in the hospital in a charity ward. Nobody to visit me, no call. Blanche! Why don't you send some flowers, John? Why don't you stop blowing your top? You're no sicker than I am. You're just putting on this act to keep me awake, aren't you? Now tell me the truth. Is it so impossible that I might have an operation? Well, what of it? Thousands of people have operations. It's nothing to be afraid of. You wouldn't hear me squawking like that. Not much. You had to take ether to have glasses fitted. (laughs) Well, I'm, I'm very sensitive around the eyes. That's because I don't sleep enough. Oh, Blanche, why don't you put out the light? All right, John. You'd have been asleep a long time ago if you hadn't been for your snoring. Well, can I help it if I snore? Yes, you can. Dr. Marvin says there's something wrong with your pharynx. You have a very long uvular and it flutters against your palate. Why don't you let him fix it? Okay, I'll have it fixed next week. You say it, but you won't do it. Let him fix it now. What? Go on, get up and let him pull out your palate. Blanche, are you out of your mind? Do you think I'm going to let that broken-down doctor hack at my palate? He doesn't hack. He snips. I don't care if he shoots it off with a 22. <laughs> Nobody's going to fool around with my palate. Well, you're going to have to do something, as it is neither of us get any sleep. Well, why don't you have him file your ears off? <laughs> well, I've never heard of such a thing. I wouldn't argue at all if you'd just be nice for a minute. 
you married me because you loved me, didn't you, John? Mm. Wasn't because I had a little money, was it? No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> and even if we had our lives to live over again, you wouldn't marry me for my money, would you, John? I wouldn't marry you for all the money in the world. <laughs> See, there you go, starting all over oh, again. Blanche, I'm so sleepy, I don't know what I'm saying. Talk to me in the morning. You said you're going fishing in the morning. Who are you going with? With my boss. Why don't you take my brother Amos along? We're going trout fishing. We don't need any worms. <laughs> don't be so smart. Tomorrow you'll wish you had him with you. I assure you, I'll enjoy my fishing without Amos. You can't fish without a fishing pole. Well, I got a fishing pole. I bought a brand new one yesterday. I lent it to Amos. Well, that's fine. Then he'll be a... What? Amos borrowed your fishing pole. Oh, Blanche, pole. Blanche, he didn't. You wouldn't let that sponging weasel take my brand new rod before I even had a chance to use it. He'll ruin it. He doesn't know how to fish. He isn't going to fish with it. His sink got stopped up and he wanted to clean the drain out. Clean the drain out? That chiseling thief is using my $50 rod for a plunger? It won't hurt it. You'll never catch any fish anyway. I always catch fish. I caught them last time, didn't I? Didn't I? You know darn well I brought home three bass and one smell. They all smell. <laughs> Go to sleep, she says. My whole life is ruined. Cleaning drains with my $50 rods. What's the matter with a piece of wire? Go to sleep, she tells me. <laughs> I'll never sleep another wink as long as... <laughs> Hello. The phone's dead. It's leaking. Put down that bottle of bourbon. <laughs> Be careful of the base on the telephone table. Gosh, I can't see a thing. Hello. Hello, is Dr. Klinker there? Who? Dr. Klinker. Dr. Klinker? I say, is this the peaceful rest home? The peaceful rest home? Brother, have you got a wrong number? <laughs> Jacko, this is Amos. Amos? Amos, where's my trout rod? Have you got any glue, Jacko? Glue? Oh, Amos, you broke it. You broke my new rod. I've never had a broken rod in my life. Well, don't cry, Jacko. You got one now. <laughs> it was too long anyway. Why did you do it? The rod cost me $50. It's the finest rod made. Ah, cheap stuff. It snapped before I got it halfway down the drain. <laughs> I'll give you the money back, Jacko. I got it right here. Where would you get $50? I sold the rest of your tackle. No. Good night, Jacko. That's the end of the world. Let me get back to bed before I explode. Oh, oh, John! Me. John, you didn't break the vase, did you? No, but I'll be hanged if I'm not going to now. John, that vase is a family heirloom. It's been handed down from generation to generation. Well, this is the last generation. Good night, Blanche. will soon be seen in the Republic picture, That's My Man. Danny Thomas appeared by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of the new musical, It Happened in Brooklyn. 
That was John's new fishing pole. That was heard on the Dreamtime radio show back on March the 30th, 1947. They did a short situational sketch uh, on, as part of that show. The show starred Don Amici and Francis Lankford and Danny Thomas. And it uh, was on NBC. It was sponsored by Dreen Shampoo. Remember Dreen? D-R-E-N-E. Well, anyway, they did uh, just an entertainment show, a lot of singing and music and whatnot, but each show contained a 15-minute segment called The Honeymoon is Over, and that's where you saw Don Amici, or heard Don Amici and Francis Langford as George and Blanche Bickerson, and obviously it became the most popular part of the show. It was always hilarious, and then it was spun off in, into a regular series, even after Amici left, but anyway, we'll get into that at another time, but... Uh, very funny, the Bickersons. When you walk through a storm, hold your head up high and don't be afraid of the dark. At the end, of a stone There's a golden sky And the sweet silver sound Of a love Walk on Through the wind Walk on Suppose I ought to say congratulations 
For you've won the only girl I ever loved But I heard too much to face the situation Just take good care of her Take good care of her Just to be around her was my greatest pleasure She was everything my future held in store So remember when you take my only treasure Please take good care of her Take good care of her I must accept it She loves you more than me So with my broken heart I'll bow out gracefully Please don't send me any wedding invitation For I couldn't bear to see her there with you If she's happy, that will be my consolation So take good care of her 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 That first song was Jerry and the Pacemakers one of the first of the British invasion back in 1963. That was I'll Never Walk, or You'll Never Walk Alone. I'll Never Walk Alone, whatever. And um, that was from Carousel, right? Yeah. And then we followed that up with Adam Wade and Take Good Care of Her. That was one of those songs that was popular when I first started noticing girls. <laughs>
Okay, boys and girls, time to put on your cowboy and cowgirl hats, strap on your holster and your trusty six-shooter, put on the boots, and let's get out to Dodge City, Kansas. The year's 1874, and we're marching up Front Street, shoulder to shoulder, with the United States Marshal, Matt Dillon. Along the way, we're going to bump into Kitty and Doc and Chester and the whole gang on another episode of Gunsmoke. And we have a good one tonight. It's entitled The Widow's Might, and it was first broadcast on the 8th of April in 1956. Uh, A little bit of a whodunit here. Remember the old uh, Clairol commercials, Does She or Doesn't She? Well, that's sort of what you're going to get on this one. You're, you're, you're going to be introduced to a character and you're going to ask yourself, does she or doesn't she? And the answer isn't revealed until the very end of the show. And you may be surprised or maybe you won't be. But it's a good ending. And, well, I'm not going to say anymore. I don't want to ruin it for you. So here we go. Gunsmoke from April 8th, 1956, Widow's Might. Around Dodge City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Starring William Conrad, the transcribed story of the violence that moved west with young America, and the story of a man who moved with it. I'm that man, Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. The first man they look for and the last they want to meet. It's a chancy job, and it makes a man watchful and a little lonely. Stay with the horses, will you, Chester? Yes, sir. I won't be long. I sure don't envy you having to talk to her, Mr. Dillon. Well, somebody has to do it. I don't understand that, Zach Morton. It's good land out here. There's a nice little house, water, everything. Why do you have to go trying to get rich the hard way? And I guess it never looks hard, though, to try it. Mr. Dillon, Ada's seen us. She's come out on the porch. Oh, yeah. Hello, Ada. Marshal Dillon. Ada, uh, I sent a man out here a few days ago to tell you what happened to Zack. He told me. Well, I kind of thought you'd come in to dodge. No, I... They had to bury him, Ada. I'd have brought him out here, but I was off chasing his partner. Did you catch him? He was killed swimming the Cimarron. He killed Zack right on Front Street. All right. I had no choice, Ada. I told him not to go back to town. 
I told him you'd probably have found out who robbed that express office. I said you'd be looking for him. I'm sorry it happened, Ada. For your sake. Zack turned bandit, Marshal. I-, I lost pride in him for a long time now. Ada, there's been some talk going on in Dodge. What are they saying? Well, everybody thinks that Zack brought the money out here and hid it. I think you know where it is. Is that what you think, Marshal? Well, they could have been headed south with it, riding bold and innocent-like right through Dodge. The money could be at the bottom of the Cimarron with Zack's partner. Zack went bad, Marshal. I hated him for it. That's why I didn't come to town when he got killed. Yeah. Well, I, I won't bother you anymore, Ada. Goodbye. Goodbye, Marshal. What'd she say, Mr. Dillon? I don't think Ada knows anything, Justin. Well, if he buried that money out here somewhere, there's no man to be fool enough to ride back into Dodge with it. I think that woman's fooling you, Mr. Dillon. I think she knows where the money's at. Chester, let's ride back as far as the creek and build us a fire, huh? I'm hungry. <laughs> Here's another strip of meat that's about done, Chester. Well, that's yours, Mr. Dillon. I ate the last one. Hey, look. Huh? We got company. It's that Leach Fields fellow. Leach Fields? Well, who's he? Well, he got off Santa Fe one day while you was down on Cimarron. But I don't know for sure where he comes from or... I wonder what he's doing out this way now. Is he a gambler? Oh, I ain't never saw him gambling, but he sure dresses like one, don't he? Yeah, he looks pretty fancy. Yeah, oh, he's a gentleman, Mr. Dillon. A real gentleman. We don't get many like him. How do, Mr. Fields? Uh, hello, Chester. Uh, Mr. Fields, this here is Marshal Dillon. Well, it's a pleasure to meet you, Marshal. I've been looking forward to it. Well, that makes you different from most men who come to Dutch. Yes, I've been observing those men, Marshal. They're bad. They're evil. Yeah, some of them sure are, Mr. Fields. You do right to kill them, Marshal. When I kill somebody, it's because I have to. Not because it's either right or wrong. Well, it was certainly right to kill Zack Morton. Was it? Of course it was. I'm on my way now to console his widow with that same thought, Marshal. Oh? Yes, we're old friends. Even though I haven't seen Ada in years. Why did you know her, Fields? Back in St. Joe. That's right. She is in St. Joe. I've heard her talk about it. I'll buy you a drink when I return to Dodge, Marshal. Goodbye. Goodbye, Chester. Bye, Mr. Fields. See what I mean about him being a gentleman, Mr. Dillon? Your meat's burning, Chester. You mean you don't think he's a nice fellow? I said your meat's burning. <sighs> Front Street sure is deserted today, ain't it? Uh, it's fine with me, Chester. I hear there's some cattle coming up the trail in a couple of days, though. Well, that's a couple of days off. We'll enjoy ourselves while we can. Yes, yeah, sir. <laughs> well, forevermore. What do you know? Oh, what is it? Look, it's Leach Fields and Ada Morton. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, hello, Ada. Fields. Hello, hello Marshal. How do you? Chester. 
Well, I've got good news, Marshal. How's that, sir? Haven't I, Ada? Let me tell him. We're going to get married, Marshal. Married? Tomorrow, right here in Dodge. I brought Ada in today so she could buy some clothes and things. Ah, I see. I know what you're thinking, Marshal. You're, you're thinking it's awful fast with Zach gone only a couple of weeks. Oh, it's no business. Not so fast considering how we knew each other back in St. Joe and all. Ada, you'd better run along now and do your shopping. I'll meet you at the Dodge house in about an hour. All right. Uh, Ada. I, uh, just wanted to wish you happiness. Thank you. Leach is a good man, Marshal. He's a good, God-fearing man. Well, that's quite a compliment, Fields, from a woman like her. She's endured a lot of evil in her life, Marshal. I want to help her to forget it. Look, Fields, the evil that you mentioned, that never brought her a thing. Not a thing. Well... Of course not. What I mean is, it didn't bring her any money. Money? From Zack? That'd be tainted money, Marshal. I wouldn't touch it, and I wouldn't allow her to. Now, what about that drink I promised you? No, not today, Fields. I'm pretty busy. Uh, but I'll be waiting for you next time you come to town. That meal's over. Now they got a new cook here, Kitty, didn't I tell you? You didn't have to, Matt. Oh, no, it wasn't that bad. Oh, wasn't it? Where'd he learn to be cook? Out poisoning wolves? <laughs> Good cook's hard to find. Yeah, I'm sure of it. Yeah, long hours, not much pay. If he doesn't like the job, why doesn't he go back to oil and leather or whatever he was doing? <laughs> well, if he could hear you, I expect he would. <laughs> well, hello, Matt. Kitty. Hello, Doc. Sit down. Hello, Doc. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh. Where you been the last couple of days? Oh, out in the country, Kitty. Waiting for a baby to make up its mind. Ah. Oh. Uh, oh, say. I passed by Ada Morton's place on my way back, man. It's been Ada Fields for the last month, Doc. I know, I know. Well, how are they getting along, Doc? I didn't see Ada, but Leach Fields was there. So? You know how nice he usually is, Matt? He's so gentlemanlike and everything, but he wasn't this time. Oh, no. He acted like he didn't want me around. He wouldn't even invite me into the house. Well, maybe he was busy. Oh, yeah, he was busy. He was sitting there on the porch doing nothing. Matt, I don't like it. I've got a feeling something's wrong out there. You better go and have a look. <laughs> Sitting right there on the porch, Mr. Dillon, just like Doc said. Yeah. Of course, I always did think Doc's just an old warrior. Hello, Fields. Good afternoon, Marshal. Chester. How do, Mr. Fields? What are you doing way out here? Ah, we were riding by. We thought we'd say hello. Well, I'm glad you did. I'm sorry you missed Ada, though, Marshal. She's going to be mighty disappointed. Uh, where is she, Fields? I don't know. She got on a horse this morning and said she was off to visit some neighbors. Mm -hmm. uh, didn't she say who? She wants to go visiting. I don't ask her where. I trust Ada. Yeah, yeah, sure. 
I'd uh, I'd ask you in, Marshal, but one thing she did tell me was if anybody rode by, not to let them see the house. She didn't take time to clean it up, and you know how women are. Well, we uh, well, we got to go back to Dodge anyway, Fields. Uh, uh, you tell her hello for us. I'll do that, Marshal. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, Mr. Fields. Goodbye, Chester. Well, now, he wasn't acting mean, Mr. Dillon. Chester. Hmm? Did you ever hear of a country woman riding off and not telling her husband where she's going? Well, no, sir, come think of it, I never did. You bet you didn't. Over here, Chester. Couldn't see you behind this bush, Mr. Dillon. Uh, did you find a place to tie the horses? Yes, sir. There was an old log down in that gully. Have you saw anything? Well, as soon as we were out of sight, Fields left the porch and went into the house. Nobody's come out yet. Mm. And I still think you're wrong about him, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, maybe I am. Maybe I just don't like men who go around preaching how bad other men are. You're awful suspicious of everybody, Mr. Dillon. Well, Chester, nothing pleases me more than when I'm wrong. Mm, I know. How long are we going to have to lay out here in this doggone dirt, Mr. Dillon? It'll dark if nothing happens before. Then what? We're going up to that house, Indian style. Mm. It ain't hardly noon. We've got an awful long wait. Say now, maybe I'll just... Wait a minute. Hmm? Look. It's him. He had a horse around back. Yeah. He's riding north. We gonna follow him? Maybe. After we take a look in the house, let's get our horses. Bust that door open if you want in, Mr. Dillon. And I'll bust it open. Come on. I feel like a crook entering a man's house this way. Don't let it bother you, Chester. Let's take a look in the bedroom. Ah. You gonna bust it open, too? Guess you are. Hey, look on the bed, Mr. Dillon. He, he's got her all tied up. Yeah. You untie her feet, Chester. Yes, sir. Dear. She looks sick. Oh, Marshal. You all right, Ada? Have you been hurt? No, Marshal. Starved. Starved? Nothing to eat. Not for days. Weeks. Oh, my goodness. Take a look in the kitchen, Chester. See if you can find something for us. Yes, I sure will. Where did Leach Fields go, Ada? We saw him ride off. He, he wanted the money, Marshal. He starved me so, so that I'd tell him. And you finally gave in? You told him? He's, he's going to dig for it. Inside that old sod hut up near Willow Spring. Oh, yeah, I know where it is. If, if he don't find the money, he's coming back to kill me, Marshal. Look, uh, Ada, 
We're going to leave a rifle with you. You think you're strong enough to use it? I'll get strong enough. I'll use it. Well, Chester, nothing pleases me more than when I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. I only said it so it can look better marrying him so quick. Yeah, I thought so. I'll go help Chester now, and as soon as we can feed you something, we'll go after him. He, he seems so good, Marshal. He seems so good for a day or two. All right, this is far enough, Chester. It's so dark, I can't hardly see nothing. Now he's in there. You can hear him digging. Listen. I hear him. We gonna rush him? I'd like to take him alive, if possible. Well, you will wait for him to come out. No, let's jump him. Maybe it'll scare him so bad he won't put up a fight. All right. Now, you walk about ten feet to the left of me, Chester. I'll go inside alone. If he takes me, will you get him, huh? Yes, sir. Got the drop on you, Fields. Don't move. What are you doing here, Marshal? Get your hands in the air. Well, sure. Sure. But I don't understand. Don't be a fool! All right, Chester. You get him, Mr. Dillon? It's too dark in here. I tried for his shoulder the first shot, but I missed. You sure he's dead? I couldn't afford to miss the next two, Chester. No, sir. No, Mr. Dillon, I sure was wrong about him. Yeah. I guess he didn't find the money, though, did he? He would have, if there'd been any. But this is where Ed said it was. You want to start digging for it, Chester? Well, no, sir. I... That money's at the bottom of the Cimarron with Zach's partner. Well, then why'd she say it was out here? Well, I guess she thought if she could get rid of Leech Fields even for a little while, she might have a chance. Well, she was right, wasn't she? Yeah. And you and everybody else had better start believing in it. She's been through enough over something that she never even knew anything about. Man sure can be wrong sometimes, can't he, Mr. Dillon? Now, you tell everybody that back in Dodge, Chester. And maybe Ada can have a little peace. She's earned it. Kill a man in a fair fight or in self-defense wasn't too unusual on the frontier. But next week, a man kills to avenge the death of his brother without firing a shot. But that was the West. Good night. Gunsmoke, produced and directed by Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Our story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston. 
with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Our thanks to TV Radio Mirror and to you, our listening audience, for again selecting Gunsmoke, the favorite Western program of the year. The results of this annual poll appear in the current issue of TV Radio Mirror. Join us again next week for another specially transcribed story on Gunsmoke. surprised by that ending? It looks like just about everybody was except good old Marshall Dillon. He had it all figured out. That was Gunsmoke from April the 8th, 1956. The name of that one was Widow's Might. And if you like Gunsmoke as much as I do, why not subscribe to our podcast? You can get it any place you download podcasts. When you subscribe to it, then usually it's normally every Sunday night. This week it's going to be Monday, but normally every Sunday night you will get a episode of our podcast, and you'll always have, almost always have, 99.9% of the time, you'll have an episode of Gunsmoke in there in crystal clear sound. Well, Chester's giving me the high sign that it is time for us to pick up all of the shows and carry them back into the vault. Folks, that's going to kick things in the head for another week. Don't worry, though. We'll be back in two weeks, and we'll do it all over again with a whole new slate of shows. Chester is uh, lacing up those mucklucks. That looks good. Oh, he's got a sheepskin, sheepskin coat. Oh, that looks warm, Chester. He's getting ready to go out. Got the earmuffs on, the hat down over the eyes. Yeah. Oh, you even got goggles. It's not snowing now, is it? Is it? Well, he's got goggles on. He is ready to go. All right, we're going to get out of here. We're going to go out tonight with a little uh, music from the Christy Minstrel Singers. Remember them? From the Hootenanny days back in the uh, early to mid-60s. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by, and I'm so glad you met me. On the far side
cry when you see I'm gone You know there ain't no woman gonna settle me down I just gotta be traveling on a singing This whole wide world Gonna tell me how to spend my time I'm just a good loving rambling man Say buddy can you spare me a dime Hear me crying it's a The sun goes down where I lay my weary head Green, green valley or rocky road It's there I'm gonna make my bed easy now Green, green, it's green they say On the far side